everybody, to another episode of the HR Revolution. Um, it's the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And we do this um, through conversations with thought leaders, experts, and HR leaders themselves to really learn from their experiences and pull out that intellectual and social capital that they have through years of experience as HR continues this evolution um, to become that stronger business partner within the organizations as more and more CEOs continue to look at HR and really want to see a stronger, more value creation center, if you will. So, uh, and, and here we are in the with terms with the great resignation um, and not better to talk with, with Barb. Um, but first, I wanted to kick it over to my friend, Chris, uh, to give us a, a warm introduction to Barb um, and give you a little history. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Kevin. As you all know, if you've been following along, this is a passion project between Kevin and a, a small group of us where we aim to help out, you know, whether it's uh, HR executives who are just trying to make sure that you know, they're benchmarking and tracking along the right way. Maybe it's new individuals who are curious about the HR profession, or it's just experienced HR practitioners and professionals as well. But it is always our intent to gain at least a few aha moments in all of our conversations. And today that should be very easy as we welcome Barb Ross, the Executive Vice President of Human Resources for Conifer Realty. Um, Barb is a strategic HR executive who has an impressive record of building dynamic organizations, shaping business strategy, and revitalizing underperforming operations. In addition to Conifer Realty, Barb has held leadership positions at Monroe Muffler Brake, Chobani, Rochester Institute of Technology, and Constellation Branch, just to name a few. So there's some <laughs> impressive names there. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you, Barb, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, Barb, let's, uh, we, we, we always know that HR professionals typically um, are working, what, 80 hours a week, 100 <laughs> hours a week, and sometimes it's tough to uh, get to that, that life or that work-life balance or blend that we're talking about today. But Chris and I really want to know what, what, what motivates you. So what was the best part about your day today so far? Oh, best part of my day. Um, I would say it, I like that it's sunny out and I could wash my car and it wasn't going to uh, get covered <laughs> with, with snow on the way in. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's the that's one of the joys of living in upstate New York, right? <laughs> yeah, the timing of the car wash. Yeah, you're looking yeah, at that yeah. five-day outlook. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, exactly. Well, what, what's one thing that maybe people wouldn't know about you just from, you know, reading your LinkedIn profile, or maybe they've worked with you in the past, but didn't get to know you very well. What's one thing that generally people might be surprised to learn about you? Well, I actually live in the Finger Lakes. So I'm down uh, towards between Lake Canandaigua and Naples. Um, so it's almost an hour commute for me to come into Rochester. Um, and so I'm a country girl. You know, I, I live in a county that literally has more cows than people. And, uh, and uh, I don't have any neighbors, you know, that are really close by. So, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a country girl. That is really, really cool. Well, then, then I'm going to ask, because uh, I think we can learn a lot from people and uh, what type of music that they like. If I was to catch you on that hour-long commute and you had to choose one song and listen to re on repeat for 60 minutes, what song are you picking, Barb? Oh, that's a tough one. I like country music, um, but, uh, you know, the song, well, if 
if it's only 60 seconds, Drift Away is a long song. So that's nice because you can kind of sing along and it lasts a while. Uh, but on my commute, I actually uh, listen to books. I rarely listen to music. Um, music is for the, you know, home and while I'm cleaning all that good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into it because I, I think you've worked at some of the uh, most uh, crown jewels of Rochester as of late. I mean, we hear of RIT. My grandfather uh, graduated from there many, many moons ago. Um, Constellation Brands continues to evolve and change and adapt. Monroe Muffler seems to be um, buying every oil change and tire center <laughs> that I've ever entered before in my life. Um, and now here you are at Counter for Realty, kind of a leading edge um, real estate developer and, 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 and uh, maintenance and property. Um, what did you learn in this whole journey? Like, what was my first question is, what was your first job, Barb, before you got into everything? Yeah, my very first job out of school was with Manpower Temporary Services. I was a recruiter. And it's, you know, that kind of a job is a great opportunity to learn the local companies, because you have to understand the companies if you're going to make a good match on putting people in the roles. Um, and it also, you know, that kind of um, uh, volume recruiting, you learn a lot about the different jobs that are out there and what it takes to be good at them. So it's a, it's a great learning opportunity, as it was for me. That's amazing. And the one I'm going to piggyback off of because that was many that was some years ago and then here we are talking about the challenges in recruiting and then attracting talent today what are some of the biggest things that you're hearing that of, of differences between when you were recruiting and here we are when we're where we are today Barb? well I think you know what people are looking for an employer is different um with this whole world of learning how to do things virtually, I think people have come to appreciate and look for a couple things. Number one is uh, the ability to work from home, yeah. at least part of the time. I think that a lot of people want a mixture. Um, and then the other thing is just general flexibility. Uh, you know, if nothing else, COVID taught us to be nimble and, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And so looking for that flexibility of, look, if I have to do something at home for a couple hours, you know, on my own time and then come in a little bit later, is that okay? I think more and more people are looking for that. I think you bring up a great point there, Barb. So we'll get into the attraction and retention and development of, of the talent within the workforce in a little bit, but you brought up the, uh, the theme of COVID, right? It taught us a lot that we had to be very flexible. We had to be agile. We had to be nimble. We had to be responsive very quickly. Um, and one of the things that I think is fascinating now is you have you know, these strategic planning processes that organizations are going through and it used to be, okay, let's look at our three-year plan, right? Let's look at our, our five-year plan what, what's happening there? Are we throwing the three and the five-year plans out the window and now just focusing on what's going on today and, and where do we want to be over the next you know, six months? Is that How long can we look out into the future from a strategic standpoint now when it comes to strategic planning, do you think? Yeah, I think we, you still have to, you have to have that long-term vision of where you're trying to go. Yeah. You have to be flexible to know that those plans along the way might need to change. But, um, but you have to have that longer term goal that you're shooting for. Um, 
I think one thing I saw an article not too long ago that was like, people have stopped trying to figure out when people are going back in the office, right? Everyone was saying, oh, three more months, three more months. And we don't know, we don't know. And we don't know what's going to work right for people. So, um, so I think looking at five-year plans, three-year plans, it still is important and it's important to do kind of your one-year operational plan, but knowing that you have to build in that flexibility that like, okay, if, if our whole office gets COVID, what are we going to do and how do we, how do we still move forward? The contingency plan, I think, process has changed where now we have a wider menu of things that might happen just knowing what's going on over the yeah. past two years, things we would never would have thought about, right? So yeah, working exactly. 100% remotely, now that's one of our our areas that we're focusing on. What are we going to do if that's what happens down the road? So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, I think, in the change that we've seen take place from a strategic long-term planning process. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, and, and Barb, one of the things that you said that I kind of want to go back to is, is what's what, what else is evolving? What else is changing, right, due, due to the pandemic? And I think um, if anybody has uh, spent any time on LinkedIn or um, Forbes or any of these uh, Harvard business reviews, leadership is kind of right in the spotlight right now or, or the style of leadership, um, emotional intelligence. We're hearing all these different terminologies and things. And my question to you is seeing that you have had so many years of experience and I know recently kicked off a leadership um, uh, summit there at Conifer. Um, are you of the proponent that managers are better at managing the work um, and, and should it be two different roles, a manager and a leadership role? That's an interesting concept. I think, I think whether you're in a leadership position, whether you're managing tactical operations that have to happen uh, or you're a coworker, I think right now everybody needs to just be a human and understand that we're all in this together. And I think that is one of the benefits of the, uh, you know, there's not many silver linings in this whole COVID thing, yeah. but, um, but I think being there for each other and recognizing that it's important on so many levels, but including being able to keep a business running, mm -hmm. like, right. You know, I uh, talked to one CEO who said that people were kind of covering for each other. And somebody said, well, is that fair? And he said to his employees, no, it isn't, but we're all in this together. And in a couple of weeks, you might be the one that needs a little bit more. And so I think that is a big thing. Um, so with leaders and managers, I think you still have to be thinking about people and leading with humility and, and understanding that we're all people and, and the relationships, I think, are the most important thing in, in leadership. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree along those lines. Yeah, you look at so it brought out the humanistic element, not only in leadership, but I think in day to day operations, you know, a very, you know, highlighted attention is being given to diversity, equity, inclusion now as well, you know, given the social economic um, circumstances that happened with George Floyd. And after that, you know, all the organizations that I've seen and that we've talked to have now said, you know, this is not a check the box activity when it comes to inclusion or equity. It has to be woven into the fabrication. So what I'm seeing, uh, I guess I would, the question would be, you know, how, how has it changed? Maybe even at Conifer or previous organizations where you had DE&I initiatives um, and where do you see it going to? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, companies that have been doing it for a long time, yeah. I think they were in a really great place and um, organizations and leadership teams that were really committed to it. 
Um, for those that weren't, so didn't have a specific focus on it, I think the important thing is don't pretend you know how to do it. Uh, I think I encourage anybody who's looking to start something to begin with a consultant who can help you figure out where are you now and what are the right next steps. We did that here. We brought in a consultant and uh, did kind of a baseline to understand where we were and what was important to our employees. Um, because the worst thing you can do is you know, hang the sign on, on the door that this is what you're doing and then not do it right. That's, that's even worse than not doing anything at all. Exactly. exactly. I love that. And, and, you, and I've seen that. And I think uh, you've probably seen it during your time as well as like just putting it up on the wall is not good enough anymore. You know, and I think people are starting to, to challenge that, you know, it's like, Hey, wait a minute, that, that doesn't live up to this value. And here we are in HR, um, we're looked at to being the shepherds of that culture, right? Upholding the mission vision vision and value statements, you know, um, finding that purpose or connecting individuals to, to unlock their purpose or alignment with their strengths in some of these positions. Um, and that comes down to having some critical conversations yourself, Barb, I'm sure over the years. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is that you kind of talked about how you stepped into this new role at Conifer and I believe the uh, uh, turnover rate was about 52% you had shared and you had got it down to 35 um, we talk about problem managers or challenging leaders within the organization that might be a cause to some of this additional turnover. Um, how do you have these critical conversations with these managers and to get them on that path of learning these new skills that may be required in leadership today? I think one key to any kind of situation where you are having a difficult conversation is, you know, think of them as human trying to find the common goal. What are, what are you both trying to accomplish? And I think it's important to ask a lot of questions before you dive into giving your opinion, because you might be wrong for one thing. Uh, you know, we see more and more that people have a whole lot going on in their personal life that you know nothing about. You have no idea what struggles they're having and it may have absolutely nothing to do with work. So I think asking a lot of questions and testing your theories before you even start talking about coaching and how to do things better, um, I think is important. Also having a couple of options kind of in your back pocket of things that might be a good path forward would, is good to do. And it's okay to say, I'm not sure what the right path is. Let's, let's come back together in, in another day or two. Like that. I, I love that because sometimes it's admitting that you don't know, right? Or you're, you're working towards that. But I, I too thought, saw that during the pandemic more than ever is that asking more questions was, was probably the best way to do that, to, to actually understand or build awareness or build understanding with what possibly could be going on in that person's world or that day. Um, and it kind of started to highlight the dangers of assumptions, right? As we assume a lot as human nature. And like you said, is like, if we go in there with the assumption and then we're totally off, then rebuilding that trust back is a lot harder. So thank you for sharing that. I think that was, that was really, really awesome to hear. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I guess along those lines, was there anything else, Barb, that maybe you implemented to get that, you know, turnover rate down? Anything you could share with us for, you know, for organizations where, where we've got a turnover issue too? I'm wondering what worked for Barb at Conifer. You know, maybe we can learn a couple of things. Did, you know, what did the data tell you? Did it, did it point you in a certain direction to take some actions in order to help bring that down? Anything you could share would be fantastic. Yeah, I think the key is really communication and it's two-way communication. So it's 
understanding, getting feedback from your employees, what's important for, uh, for them, uh, what do they love about the company and what do they wish should be different. Uh, regular communication, again, even if you don't know the answer, but getting out there saying, we're thinking about it, we're waiting for X, Y, Z to happen in order to give you answers. We know it's on your mind, but we don't have that information at this time. Yeah. Um, but regular communication and doing it in different modes, right? Some people, they want to get a text or they want to see it on your uh, you know, blog. Others want to see a video or read a newsletter. So understanding that there are different ways to reach people and building in all of those so that so that you're you have your best chance at reaching people. Um, but you know really I think communication is key. I think one thing that really is far more powerful than people think about is our open town halls, mm -hmm. even virtual ones where yep. you are just opening up the floor. Um, we did a lot of communication here, particularly when we had a change in CEO. And uh, so we tried to do, we tried to scripted, but not sound scripted. And we sounded right. scripted. So we learned that we had to just not have notes in front of us. And, and that was the only way to be genuine because there again, if you, if you, if you look like you're acting, people yeah. won't believe you that if you're, you have to be genuine. And uh, so those town halls where people can ask questions and you can't be afraid of it because if something comes up, that's tough, you can say, a great question let me get back to you yeah. yeah i think i think just that help to rebuild or start to rebuild that trust with people is being vulnerable right or, or the, the the appearance of being more transparent than they ever were before and that's kind of what i, I talk to people is like something that that's some of the uh, people that are sitting on the sidelines waiting to come back to work is they're waiting to really see and, and they're they're just trusting of of these environments because of the way that they were told that they were furloughed and sometimes when we over explain or over communicate and talk about the actual business impacts and let people understand that profit and loss statement that all the senior leadership is, is staring at, yeah. sometimes they can take their individual approach and understand how they're directly impacting the business themselves, where they can take a, maybe a future impact. So I love the town halls because I think it's a great way to establish that transparency, even during that, that switch over to a new CEO, which can be that opportunity for confusion. You know, people get some cold feet. They're not really sure what the future direction of the company is. And then they start headed for the exits. Yeah. Um, speaking which, you had to fill in for a little while. I believe six months you were filling in with the CFO there at Conifer. What was the one biggest thing, you know, because I, I know you have built and established strong relationships with CEOs in the past. And I know you understand kind of what motivates them, you know, and finding those win-win scenarios that you talked about earlier, Bart. But what was the biggest lesson that you learned being and filling in as the interim CEO for six months? I think one of the biggest things that helped us be successful is the relationship that we have with each other. Uh, interestingly, we had worked for about two years on building the relationships amongst the leadership team. So we, we trusted each other. We knew we had each other's backs. Um, we knew what our strengths were and what our strengths weren't. So when it came time for us to not have a CEO, uh, the CFO and I partnered uh, to take on uh, interim co-CEO role. And we just leveraged what each of us did better. And we leveraged the rest of the leadership team so that I'm not an expert on how to deal with an agency on a, on a housing issue. So leaving it to our experts and 
I think our job as leaders is always making sure that our employees have the tools that they need to do their job and removing roadblocks for them so that they can be successful and do what they do best. And I think that that is true no matter what role you're in. But in that CEO role, I think it's really important to let your employees know that that's what's, that's what's important and that what, that is what your goal is and that you're looking for that feedback. And how uh, to, to kind of, I guess, uh, ask a twofold question here is we, Chris and I are, are frequent in talking about establishing and building the, that level of accountability within the organization, because it doesn't happen overnight. Just because you start with the title of VP of human resources doesn't mean that that accountability and trust is just automatically given to you. How do you, how did you work with CFO and the finance teams uh, so they could understand that it, you do need to sometimes make investments in technology in order to enable the success um, whether it's technology, whether it's process improvement, whether it's outsourcing, whatever it is, but sometimes it takes money to make money or improve, right? And sometimes finance, my father being one of them, is they're very uh, close to the chest. You know, they don't want to spend money unless they see a clear return on investment. How have you built that relationship to get to that trust and I'd be able to leverage each other's strengths and understand how to best work together in order to move Conifer forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing that's most important is you have to understand your business. You have to understand how the company makes money. How does the money flow? What is your revenue source? What are the, um, if it's a cyclical business, what are your busy times? What are your not busy times? Um, you know, when I was at Constellation Brands, the fall, it's called, it's Crush. Is the that the beer season? That's the beer and wine season fall. Yeah. Well, you have to, the grapes are ready, right? The grapes Texas are ready. To do the harvest, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. launching a major initiative in the middle of crush is not a good idea. So, um, you know, understanding what uh, challenges are within the business, I think is really important. And a great way to get a little bit of traction is to request to do a pilot. Can I try a pilot somewhere? You know, let's take a team or, uh, you know, a, a, a group of employees or a project and let's just try. Let's just experiment and see what happens and track the numbers or the metrics that you're using and see how it works. And oftentimes that'll, you're right. I mean, we know what we're doing in HR. We know that these investments <laughs> will pay off. Um, so it's giving it a chance to, to prove itself out. I love the pilot. And then your, your point about reassessing the effectiveness through numbers is huge too. And understanding the business is always nice to, to see it reinforced, right? What do you mean, Kevin? When you just start off with the, the fancy title, people don't automatically give you the... Nope. Uh, <laughs> you actually earn that? Oh, wow. That's the okay. dream. That's the dream. Right? got to earn that? Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we talk a little bit about attraction and I want to talk about retention because... A lot of organizations, that's kind of the big focus. If you look, what are the three main priorities for HR this year? It's okay, we need to retain, you know, our, our talent, not only our top talent, but also, you know, all, all of the talent that we have because we don't want to lose folks. What are some of the things that maybe you're doing at Conifer to help, you know, reinforce the retention? Um, maybe some other things you've seen going on and just to, just to say to your employees, hey, we value you. You know, we want you to stay here. We want you to build a career here. Uh, what's going on? What are you doing? Yeah, so, you know, we did a few things actually, not necessarily related to, uh, well, it was related to retention, 
earlier in the pandemic before you know this big staffing crunch hit was you know just really trying to have a pulse on what's important to our employees so for example that first year of the covid um, uh, crisis our site employees so we confer is an affordable housing business we have about 220 apartment communities in four states so our site folks that are there every day with the residents they were essential workers they had to go to work every day we did for that summer that first year we called it gratitude fridays where we let people leave at noon on Friday and we paid them for the full day. We didn't make them use uh, PTO. So it wasn't necessarily like a bonus, but it was time and people value that more than anything, uh, especially in the middle of the COVID stuff. You had, you had kids that needed to be learning stuff or whatever. You, you just needed that, that flexibility. So understanding what's important to your employees at any given time. Once all of these... Um, you know, uh, new hire bonuses and stuff started happening. And with this turnover uh, in this staffing craziness, mm -hmm. um, one thing that we just did is historically we did gifts for service awards and, you know, they would, it, it was, it was nominal, but it, they were nice gifts, but they were, they were nominal. And um, people were like, okay, I've been here for 10 years and this new person is getting a sign-on bonus. So we said, let's convert our service awards to cash. That way they can go buy what's important to them or spend the money the way it is yeah. that means the most to them. And if it is still buying, you know, some one of those items that they would have gotten before, great. But if not, letting them understand that they're important to us. And, um, and so understanding what is thinking about. Uh, and you also have to remember right now in this, time it's it's feels like it's changing every three months right what people are looking for and what's important so keeping a regular pulse on what's important to people i think is one of the keys and honestly telling people that you care and showing it and, and really demonstrating it we added a couple of extra holidays because people were really burnt out we shut down between christmas and new year's for the first time ever at our sites and again, did not require them to use PTO. They were burnt out. Yeah. And uh, so little things that you can do, uh, I think make a world of difference and mm -hmm. explaining to your folks, that you're, to your people, that it's because we care. And we know that this kind of a thing is going to be really important to you. It goes a long way. I, I, I couldn't agree more. We're starting to read things like individualized HR, you know, meeting where people are at and, and focusing on those critical life events like uh, babies and weddings. And yeah. um, but it seems like Conifer is really in tune with that burnout conversation because you're you're seeing the van advantages of time. Right. We can't buy more of it. We can't rent more of it. Um, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and then you touched on too, is like sometimes when uh, we have good employees and we are focused and they don't that we care, sometimes they're going above and beyond um, often from a uh, uh, an overtime perspective, from doing two jobs as one person. Um, and I love the, the back to your point about the awards, you know, uh, and, and how that has changed. But that kind of goes back to what you said from a flexibility perspective. I think people like options right now. An award that we're going to put up on a wall that's kind of limiting, you know, I think a lot of people, like you said, hey, you use the cash to whatever you feel like uh, you want to use it towards, I think is a great way 
um, and speaking to, to really um, how connected you are with what people are looking for today. So that's awesome to hear. One of the things that you mentioned was time, right? And, and this is something that Chris and I and my friends talk about quite frequently in HR, is that HR is awesome at protecting the business, protecting the employees, protecting just about everything, um, except their own time. They're very, very poor at protecting their own time, which kind of gets into the frustration category for HR professionals is, I got a laundry list over here of strategic initiatives, but all my time is focused on administrative, right? How do I make that work? And how, my question to you, Barb, is how do you protect your time and how do you coach your team in HR to protect their time as well um, so you can increase your impact within the organization? Yeah, you're assuming that I'm good at it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, after hearing your history of playing interim CEO, 94 straight on Glassdoor and all this other stuff, I figured you might have some skills in that area. <laughs> uh, well, uh, all kidding aside, it is, it's hard. Um, you know, uh, and we're still guilty of it. We, you know, we have a new CEO and we look at these projects that we want to do and they are all important. And we just looked at our list for, for this calendar year and we thought, there's no way we're going to get all the, all of this done. Um, so you do have to be practical. I have found that for me and my team, one thing that is a, a, an effective way to manage time and to actually cross the finish line with projects is similar to if you think about the structure of an IT department, you've got people who they work on infrastructure. You've got people who are break fix, right? The, your um, desktop technicians and stuff. And then you have project people who that's all they're doing is making sure that these projects um, get done. Um, I think you have to have the same thing in HR working on the day-to-day items. You've got employee relations, going to be fires all the time. So having those available for those fires, and then having a dedicated person, team, whatever for just work, not fighting, fighting on projects. That's interesting as we start to think more about a skills-based, you know, workforce and, and putting our workforce in a little bit different. Maybe we've looked at it just purely by job description in the past. So uh, interesting concept for us to our eyes on, you know, as we as we hit the horizon and keep moving forward. So that's that's a great way of putting it. You mentioned you've got that whole list of priorities and they're all important right how do you take a look at that list and identify you know what is what are the top two to three that we need to focus on now what do you do from a priority yeah you have to ask the business you have with the the whole leadership team and understand what's important to them what do they need in order to do their job do their job well um and if you know project or uh, an initiative that you think is more recognize it there might be a little sales uh job that you have in there but but work with them and and like as there's any number of things that you could do so making sure that what's most helpful to them and what's most helpful to move the business is how you have to make that that decision Uh, you know we've talked a lot getting the voice of you know your employees and Engagement used to be a you know one big survey. We put action plans together. We do some follow up. You know maybe six months down the road, and I don't think that model works anymore. 
you said things are changing so often every three months that you know, new needs that come up and new needs that arise. What are, what are you doing at Conif, you know, to kind of meet the, the challenges that the old way of looking at engagement maybe presents itself and maybe what are things that you're doing to just keep those lines of communication open between, you know, and, and management or leadership? Uh, one thing that we're put together, a, a handful of additional recognition okay. programs or of acknowledging the things that people do. Um, you know, we have heroes that do stuff every single day, right? And so making sure that we have communities to recognize that, um, I think is, is, going, is one thing that we have found to be, we do, we have done for years a uh, conference every year for our managers and uh, we, we would get together and do training, education, team building, what have you. Because of the pandemic, we couldn't get people together. We did it virtually last year and we invited all employees everyone. And that was the first time that we had done, including all employees. And it was very small. So now this year, we do plan to go back to an in-person conference in May, but we are going to live stream the sessions so that people who are still back at the sites can participate, they can hear, they can listen. We're, we're investigating right now what technology we can leverage to be able to get feedback from them while they're not on site with us. And, uh, and keep them engaged. Um, and then again, I think just regularly uh, checking in with people. A lot of companies do pulse surveys where it's one question. It, people don't want to do a 15 or a yeah, 30 right. question survey month, but throwing one or two questions out there is a great to just hear what's on. It's because you, you really talked about um, the, the communication, right? And you understand, again, the individualized, we, you're meeting your employees where they're at, right? Yeah. Um, I think the old practices of HR, and maybe you can speak to this um, from, from your, your days at Constellation Brands and RIT and kind of You've worked for publicly traded companies, you work for higher education, you've really worked the gamut manufacturing, and now here you are in another service-led industry. Um, what is, I guess, what have you learned most about um, communication across industries? Is it similar? Is it very similar? Is it not at all? Like just you having that experience and working with very different um, working populations, what have you learned from the communication strategies? And if you want, dovetail into the learning and development side of that as well. Yeah, man, there's a whole lot that yeah. I'm very passionate about um, communications. Uh, so a couple come to mind. The first is you have to tell people, um, I don't remember what the exact number is, you have to tell people things seven times before they believe it or repeat it, or that they, that they think that, that they get it and that they will carry that message forward. So you have to do it often. Um, I have in, uh, in, you can turn on a feature where you have the reading level of a document. So I like to check the reading level and make sure that it is uh, not too high, right? You, you want people to get quickly. So clear, simple communications, I think is far easier and far, um, more effective, just long-term. Yeah. Um, the first thing, go to their manager and say, what does this mean for me? 
So one of the things that I really like doing is if if there's a big announcement that's happening um, with the managers in advance, prep them. Say, here's what's coming. This is why putting together apps for them and make they are equipped. The employees come. They're not saying, I don't know. I just heard it at the same time you did. Yeah. That's the worst you can do on so many fronts. And um, it really, spending that time, you're really demonstrating to the managers that you respect the position that they're in and the importance of what they do and how they talk to their folks. That that's a really critical thing is things uh, in, in to the hands of um, the managers. I'm laughing because when I was at RIT, there was a big um, announcement that was about to go out and the president had written the announcement. It was like five pages long and it was written by somebody who had, you know, a handful of degrees yeah. and, uh, and it was all really great information, but it was a lot. And so I said to him, we have half an hour to put together an FAQ out to our managers and uh so he, he said yes of course and so getting that in, so that even if it was only two minutes before the big announcement went out I could then say not sure I have this other message let me get to that and get back to you but giving them something that that helps the tricky things don't currently have this a company has done in the past give managers scripts uh, you know, it, there's nothing with giving people exactly what to say. You have to make it easy for them, important things. Otherwise, if they don't do it, then you, you don't have the same message. It's not a the organization. So it's take care of the, the little things and having a solid plan and how you're communicating things that is the, the most Things in there a lot is on giving the, the management or the leadership team preview um, goes a long way. And I, I've seen that countless times where Chris will come, with, uh, come and say, hey, thanks for giving us the heads up. That was really helpful. Proposing, here's a recommendation. What are your thoughts, right? So now you can get their buy-in um, if they've had a chance to kind of be part of it. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's something that you have to communicate. Maybe it's something you have to change to do so oh, yeah yeah, yeah. so that's uh, an important thing to and do the, the other thing you hit on bar which i think is critical for hr professionals hr practitioners is that sometimes prescriptive give them the talk script because not every manager has been through every single situation or scenario you know during whatever their or, or their time with the organization um and again we don't want to assume we talked about about that earlier, but I think if you can do that in the either the talking points or the script or the step by step, I think really, um, you know, appreciative of them to help them do their job a little bit or be a little bit more effective. In your time, though, you we got a list of priorities and we know we've got to do everything by tomorrow. It's I wish we had enough time to get everybody involved and get everybody's viewpoint, you know, so that we can make sure that board and in the loop. It's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's really neat, and 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 it seems like you got you're you're using data, and and we're we're talking about um, 
like kind of what the future skills of HR look like. And you mentioned a couple like the, the business acumen. I know we talked about, we talked about developing and establishing those relationships internally with finance, with CEOs and those senior leadership, but also the middle tier managers. So you're doing a lot of this. And the last thing is, is that it sounds like you're using data. Um, and, 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 and that's kind of what Chris and myself and, and others use data to help us prioritize what's most important. Um, based off those surveys and based off that information. Um, how are you guys using data? And then the, my second part to that is on those surveys, how I loved your point about how you're communicating what you're doing with that data or that information. So twofold, again, question, but I wanted to see kind of how, because I know you're doing it and I just wanted to ask. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's data out there that to support whatever you want, right? Uh, you can find the argument, you can find what's going to tell the story of what's important, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, right now we're using, you know, we're looking at how many positions we have open, how long is it taking to fill them? Um, you know, some managers want stats of how many people applied and how many places did we, did we post a job or advertise a job? Um, I think that there's there's a lot of things that, that you can measure and keep an eye on. Always remembering to go back to how it translates from a business perspective, I think is important. Um, you know, sometimes we have a, a new person come in, somebody might come into HR and say, geez, you know, it looks like maybe we're a little low on pay in one area or another. Can, can we give them an, a, a raise? When you think about our business right now, the affordable housing, our revenue is rent. We have low-income housing, so the rents are established. And so normal apartment complexes, if they want to give somebody a raise, they just raise the rent to cover that, right? We don't have the ability to do that. So looking at the numbers and helping come up with creative ways for them to come up with solutions. So as an example, we had um, a handful of openings and as you know, it's really hard to find people. And so if we, we look at a, a geographic area and say, can we leverage these positions differently? And how can I spend that pot of dollars in a way that will be more effective that we can fill the position sooner? And the more you talk to managers about that, the more they start getting creative on their own of where can they get the money to do the things that they want. Um, so it, it's a lot about creativity and, mm -hmm. and thinking about things differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love how you're involving the managers within that process so they have more of a shared responsibility So and they're more interested in the outcomes, right? I think that's that's when you talk to people in talent acquisition and HR, and sometimes it's a huge disconnect between what the manager is looking for and what HR is looking for. Um, but it, involving them within that process and tapping into their creativity, I think is huge. And I think to Chris's point, will be even more beneficial to you guys as you move forward to identify what skills are actually necessary for these particular roles and positions. Because I think the definitions of these job descriptions are gonna to continue to change and evolve as well. But I loved the point that you shared because this is, this is really the quagmire that most businesses are in today, right? Um, do I have the ability to pass on that increased human capital cost to my consumer or not? And this is the yeah. same thing that a lot of nonprofits are having to deal with as well that are heavily grant funded. Those grants don't change. 
So how are you guys getting your dollar to stretch further to attract, retain, develop, and engage your talent there, Barbara? So, uh, gosh, there's having, for one thing, I'm fortunate that we have amazing leaders here in this organization. They're great. And understanding that they know their job and their employees know their jobs better than you or I ever will. So tapping into having them remember to check with folks of, all right, how can we save some money? Are there things that we could be doing differently? Is there something that we should be outsourcing because in the long run it it would save us money? Or is it something that we can outsource and it's something that people where it's a barrier to attracting someone, right? So if you have somebody that, um, so as an example, we have properties where we have maintenance folks and a really very skilled maintenance person, there are things that they are not going to want to do. And so do you have hire one higher level maintenance person and one more entry level? You're using those same dollars, but mm-hmm. you're getting far better productivity and job satisfaction mm-hmm. out of it. So being being creative, I think, is, is really important. And um, always asking the question, this is one of my favorite things to do, is to ask the, the question, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. When whatever it is that you need to get done, if there's a, a problem trying to figure out how to do it or how to afford it, try to just think about what do you, what is the end goal and what is the objective? And there may be a few paths to get there. And so what are the different ways that you could do it? Can you enlist internal people? People want opportunities to develop and do things that aren't in their day-to-day job. Mm-hmm. Is there special action team that you could put together that is actually offloading the the work to someone else, but it's somebody who's going to learn from that opportunity and bring brand new ideas that that we may have never thought of. So asking a lot of questions and and being creative, I think is really, is really important. And that's how you probably tap into the innovation side of, of, of some of these front end workers and asking them, what are you experiencing? How can we improve? And, and just asking the right questions, like you said, is so important. And the one thing that in the, you keep saying creative, 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 and I love that because what I haven't heard is that stretch of the dollar as a sign on bonus to, to mirror everything that everybody else is doing right in the marketplace. You really are unique in that you're, you want to open up those constant lines of communications at all levels within the organization to not only know or keep your finger on the pulse as to, well, what are their wants? What are their desires? How are those changing? And are we changing with that um, effectively? So Barbara, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed I enjoyed that. Yes. You've given us a lot to think about today, Barb. So really appreciate it. We'll finish off with our final question. And it's kind of the question we ask all of our guests and it's about the future of work, right? So specifically we've, we've, transform the way work gets done over the last two years. We don't see that changing. We think we're going to continue to see transformation. You know, from your standpoint, what do you, where do you think we're going to go with this? And what do HR professionals, practitioners, executives need to do to equip themselves to be successful for this ongoing transformation? Yeah, that is, is such a great question. I think technology is something that all of us need to think about more. There's more and more solutions out there to help you get done what you need to do. And they're becoming more and more affordable. That flexibility of understanding that there's lots of, there's different ways that people, that you can get the job done and knowing that you have to build that in and give people options. 
I think the leading with humility, leading with humanity and, and with kindness, I think is going to be more important in our leaders as we continue to grow. And people are in a place where they're trying to decide what really means a lot to them. So being genuine and, and opening yourself up to have those conversations and really know what's important to them is what's going to keep people. And I think what makes them far more productive in their jobs and therefore, you know, it, it comes out in the bottom line from an ROI perspective because people are happier, they stay longer, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And do you think we're at the, the, the age where we're going to see people stay in positions for 10, 15, 20 years, like, like my father? I don't think jobs change. I don't think jobs stay the same anymore. You know, I think that uh, I, I don't know that there is a job that will stay the same for 20 years. Uh, so no, I don't think that that will happen. Um, I do think that I think that we kind of went through a cycle where people were changing jobs more frequently, and I think that we've learned a lot as employers about that. And so I think we're building in things that keep people challenged that will make help them stay longer. I think that you know, we will see people stay longer within an organization, but it's because we're providing different things for them to keep them challenged and, and enjoying what they're doing. Love that. Spot on. So I, I think, I think keeping them challenged, making those uh, horizontal shifts rather than always that view of hierarchy, um, moving up that, that corporate ladder. I think there's some finding on those alignments of those strengths is, is so vitally important, like you said, from a return on investment, but overall engagement perspective. I just want to say thank you, Barb, for today's interview. I know I learned a ton. And thank you so much for all those tangible takeaways. I think some of the questions that you really asked, like, what are you trying to accomplish first is such a great question because then we can work backwards as HR practitioners and professionals, right? If we know that's your desired end state, how are we going to help you get there? Um, So I think a lot of information was shared, a lot of great information for people to learn from. um, And I just want to say thank you so much for accepting and being an awesome guest here on the HR Revolution. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. (laughs) 